Hey guys, this is Ram Kumar here, founder and CEO of Gari Link. We are an NFT ecosystem company. Glad to be here on this show. There was a time in the late 90s when if you wanted a connected computer, then you would need to have a modem in which you would have to plug in your phone line and dial a number to connect with another computer. Today we live in a hyper-connected world and every device is connected to the internet by default, requiring very little technical know-how. The world of cryptocurrency or decentralized finance is also currently going through that transition from being something for hardcore enthusiasts to being a mass market technology. And one of the companies aiding this transition is Guardian Link. In this episode, your host Akshay Dat is talking with Ram Kumar Subramanian, the crypto pioneer and the founder of Guardian Link. Ram Kumar has been an early participant in the cryptocurrency revolution, having entered the space seven years ago. And in this fascinating conversation, we learn how the space has evolved to reach where it is today. Listen on. And if you like such insightful conversations with disruptive startup founders, then do subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app. I was born and brought up in Chennai. So I went done my entire schooling and engineering in Chennai. So my mom is a housewife and my dad was an entrepreneur. He passed away a couple of years back and he's been a great inspiration for me to get into entrepreneurship. He was into manufacturing, rod of electrical parts. So during 90s, that was IT, right? So on my mother's side, the entire family is has a legal background. My granddad is a high court judge and like my aunt and all of them are lawyers and stuff. So it's either one of these two choices. Either get into legal or entrepreneurship. I chose entrepreneurship. So after my engineering, I just wanted to have some job experience. So I went ahead and worked somewhere. I worked six months and then I realized this is not what I should do. I think I'm not meant for this. But that's how I got into entrepreneurship. And the first entrepreneurship journey started with working with one of my very close relatives. He's been a mentor for me. And whatever I need to discuss about entrepreneurship, I used to talk to him about it right from my childhood. And he decided to go ahead and try something new, which is more into consulting and stuff like that. He had a very successful IT company. And then he decided he'll get into consulting. And then I requested, why don't we go ahead and work with you? And I want to learn entrepreneurship. It is more fun. And this was like software, you're building software for companies or like what exactly? It was more of a consulting where we go ahead and incubate a company and we work with them right from ideation to actual implementation of the project and help them run the business itself. So that's where I learned sales and stuff like that. We also, in certain cases, we went and acquired firms and then we took it to them for further expansions and acquisitions and stuff like that. So that's how I got into entrepreneurship. And your co-founder, what was his background like? He ran an IT company, right? His name is Sandil Nayagam. So he's been a mentor for me for a very long time. And he ran an IT company. It's called Rails Factory. It was a very successful IT firm based out of Chennai. And they were working with customers across the globe. So therefore, he had that track record to actually go and sell this kind of a service. I mean, otherwise, without a track record, how would you convince someone that we will incubate you and we will, or or probably he had the funds also to go and acquire companies and build them up. He had the funds and he had the the will also to do that. And I think I learned a lot from him. So what kind of sales were you doing? Was it sales at the portfolio companies that sales for those portfolio companies? Yeah, there are, there are multiple portfolio companies. Each one into, there was one portfolio company into food delivery. So this is way back before Swiggy and all that was a thing, right? And then there was another one which was into movie rentals and online book rentals. And then there was another one which was into edtech. So... I was pretty much doing sales for all of these three. And we had to do sales because we need to make sure this company, whichever we took over, has to do well. So I had to take that part, yeah. And you had a small stake in this business or was it like an equal stake? Or Because you're obviously a junior partner here, right? Like I had a small stake. I had a small stake and and I don't think I worried about stake during the time. I wanted to learn how this thing works, right? So for me, every day was a learning opportunity and I learned a lot of stuff. And we did an, almost like an exit after two years because he wanted to do something else. And every other firm that we took over, we went ahead and helped them either raise funds or go ahead and stabilize their business. So we took an exit from there. And that's when second half of my entrepreneurial journey started and 
Okay, so tell me about that. So you're what, by this time, 23, 24, something like that? I guess I was around 25, 25, 26-ish during this time. Around, around that, 25, I believe. I came out, I was wondering what should I do. So there is my current co-founder, Kamesh, who's a, who's a good friend of mine. We used to work together because he used to run a social media agency and stuff. And then we used to work with him. And he he always talks about entrepreneurship, right? He's a hardcore entrepreneurship guy who is who lives and breathes entrepreneurship. And we used to meet often and talk about what can be done and stuff like that. So we wanted to get into IT and we wanted to get to, get into the next cutting edge tech. And you know it was a six month discussion probably. I was trying to figure out what should I do next. And then I also had my own thing that I used to do some online consulting and stuff like that. So I was quite busy. He was busy with this thing and stuff. So why don't we go ahead and explore cutting edge stuff? And we thought let's talk to someone who's into cutting edge stuff. And we decided blockchain will be something interesting. This is like when Bitcoin was probably like less than ten dollars kind of price point. Less than ten dollar. So this was that like you could buy a pizza with yeah. So no one knew what was Bitcoin back then. But w- what made you feel that this will be cutting edge? At that time, there were like very few people who were like believers of blockchain and Bitcoin and the whole distribution. So what we were trying to do is we were trying to figure out what really works, what is going to be the future in the market, right? During the time that we had an option, get we why don't we get into mobile technology, right? Why don't we get into building apps and stuff like that? And then there was also an option of getting into tech because that's when Baiju's and all these like really growing up. But that's going to become big in the next one to two years time. And the space will be crowded because someone will become big and everyone is going to get into it. And we are believers of you know, hardcore entrepreneurship where you know you need to make money, you need to be proud profitable to we actually do business we didn't kind of have the attitude of raising funds and stuff like that right we were not thinking in that way during the time we thought what's going to be the next future technology right what's going to change the world and and also very interestingly we wanted to be in a space which has no competition right so then we can actually quickly grow we were figuring out what is that and we used to read a lot of blogs and we used to go through various other stuff and this the other partner my co-founder arjun Kamesh, myself, and then we were figuring out who to talk to about this. That's how we met my other co-founder, Arjun. And he is someone who goes to the internet and tries to find out what's the next big thing that is happening. And he comes up with euphoria idea. And then he says, this is you know, this is the one to go for, right? So we were talking to him and then he said, blockchain is something that is becoming massive nowadays. And he heard about Bitcoin through one of his uh, clients because he said, no, I can pay you through USD, but there's something called Bitcoin. I can send it to you. And he, and he, he started going through what is Bitcoin and uh, what is this stuff? And that's how he learned about there's a technology behind that called blockchain and stuff like that. And he said, why don't we explore this? And we decided to do that. Three guys got together, sat down for a couple of weeks, studied how blockchain works and stuff like that. And then we started a blockchain R&D firm, right? Started building out products and kind of giving it out to entrepreneurs across the globe because there's no other firm. Probably we were five or six odd firms across the globe who know what's blockchain technology. So that's how we started. This should be around 2016. And what kind of use cases were you solving? Give me an example of some projects you did. For example, wallet service. We had a ready-made wallet that you could go ahead and buy it from us and then use it right away. If you want to run an exchange and you wanted to have a custodian wallet, you want to manage that. We had a ready-made product that can be used. We had marketplaces, exchanges that you can... So t- tell me something. How, how does the wallet work for an exchange? The, each user gets their own wallet or is does the exchange have a wallet? Like, just talk to me about how the nuts and bolts of it. Like. Yeah, for example, a custodian wallet, right? So what happens in a custodian wallet? It is, it's let's say it's a multi-sig wallet. Wait, what's a multi-sig wallet? Okay. So multi-sig wallet is basically a wallet where you have multiple private keys that you use to sign the wallet and that gives you access to that wallet. You can't just sign up with one. So that's like the two-factor authentication in a way. A much more technical way, a much more secure way than a two-way, right? We used to provide custodian wallet services to exchanges. So let's say you're running an exchange and you needed a wallet and you need to manage your funds in a wallet. We have a ready-made product that is there which can be integrated to your exchange or marketplace that you run so during the time there was probably about 100 odd coins that was there in the market and about about 50 odd were uh, ethereum based erc20s so which can be supported if you run an ethereum wallet and then there is obviously bitcoin and then litecoin and all that so we used to have wallets which support all of these currencies so you need to run nodes of each of these blockchains 
and then when you run these nodes of these blockchains you can go ahead and store that particular let's say someone transacts in ethereum in your exchange you'd be able to store that ethereum that that is being transacted in your exchange so we build these wallets that can be integrated with exchanges where multiple nodes will be running and we'll manage those nodes and we'll also provide your front end to know what's your balance in bitcoin what's your balance in ethereum what's your balance in litecoin and stuff like that what do you mean by running a node so basically ethereum blockchain right if you take a look at ethereum blockchain it runs on multiple nodes and it's completely decentralized and you can assume sort of like node to in a very simple term a node is sort of like a server and if you run an ethereum contract with multiple transactions that goes through this particular server and then you need to run or host a server to either manage wallets manage the coins or to mine or to go ahead and verify and stuff like that so that's basically running the node right so we had to run a node so that you can go ahead and store ethereum coins ethereum based erc20 coins and stuff like that like a little bit of an explainer here for listeners who are not so familiar so blockchain is basically a distributed ledger which means that you have like a khata or a ledger kind of a list of there's a data set and there are multiple servers which are maintaining a copy of that and so these servers which maintain a copy of that they all have to agree on the update say whatever update happens and only then the blockchain also updates data in that and each of these servers is called a node is am i right so for yes and basically as you told the node is hosted by multiple uh, parties across the globe and obviously each are its own servers and once let's say they have each blockchain has its own way of it's verified so after a particular point of consensus it gets approved and then it, whatever transaction that it gets gets processed so uh, to put it in a very simple way that's how you say it okay so this was one of your products like a wallet products so this was like a semi customized kind of product i'm guessing like there would be semi customized yeah yeah some would come and say that you know i would want to just support bitcoin people would want to have features on built on top of it and stuff like that so like this we had multiple products that we built during the time what were the other products so we had an exchange that we used to provide basically cryptocurrency exchange right well let's say you take Vasilix in India, something similar to that. We had a ready-made product for that, and we had a tokenization platform, which is again a ready-made product. Before NFTs and all that, you could tokenize a real estate asset, and you break down a real estate asset as multiple ERC20 tokens and eight square feet as a token, and you can go ahead and sell out tokens like how you do a REIT, where you go ahead and sell out the shares. Very similarly, you go ahead and sell tokens, and then you take ownership of real estate or ownership of a bond or something like that. So. that was the rage during that time right so because people were trying to figure out case studies of how you can implement blockchain and this is a huge case study where you can go ahead and give out tokens and you could take ownership of a property or you could take ownership of a bond or something like that or fractional ownership so essentially to- tokens are different from coins and what is the difference between a token and a coin so it's a very common terminology but the use case is what is different a cryptocurrency coin usually people refer it to it as a coin which is on a transactional manner where i can go ahead and use it as a trading asset in a, in an exchange the top 1000 coins right now that is there in a coin market cap but tokens are usually used within a particular marketplace or tokenization platform where it's not traded on exchanges it's traded within this platform and you know you trade or you manage within a closed platform right that's the difference between a token and a coin but right now people have started uh, you know kind of use it as a you know between a coin and a token and a token and a coin so it doesn't make a difference right now is polygon a token or a coin that's a coin it's a coin because it's traded in the market in, in exchange but people some people call it matic token because you use that token to go ahead and pay it for your gas fees so it's used interchangeably i was under the impression that a coin has its own blockchain and a token doesn't like a token is built on top of another blockchain So that's how it started and started you and then it has been used interchangeably across multiple reasons. Okay. And so what you're explaining here of tokenization real estate investment trust which is basically like fractional ownership of real estate where people can they can be a trust which can buy a property and then they can be people who can buy shares of that trust uh, and therefore they have a fractional ownership. So something similar can be done through decentralized approach and basically cryptocurrency blockchain these are all decentralized finance tools so 
a decentralized way of doing it is to tokenize it. So there's no trust as such, which is run by a central body, but everybody who holds a token holds ownership of that, plus some voting rights, I'm guessing, like that would be. And there, there is a body that manages token and that goes ahead and says, let's say people invest in this token and that investment is used to buy out a particular real estate. And then they decide the ones who hold onto the token, they can vote what can be done on the real estate. And there is a body which majorly holds onto the token, which decides and implements what needs to be done. So read on the blockchain. Got it. Okay. There was this whole frenzy of ICO, initial coin offering. Were you providing any services there? And what is an ICO? Is it like to launch your own blockchain or is it on top of an existing blockchain? Again, it's used interchangeably, right? People used to go ahead and launch ERC-20 tokens, which is basically... And wait, what is ERC-20? You've used that term a couple of times. I, I want to understand that. These are tokens built on the Ethereum blockchain. If you don't have your own blockchain to, you know, have your own token and stuff, you use Ethereum as a blockchain and you create tokens on top of that. So those are called ERC. So basically, like Ethereum has the ability to like execute smart contracts, I believe. And that's where all of this comes from. Like you can code Ethereum with certain like if then conditions and use that to create tokens. So Ethereum has multiple standards and one of those standards is ERC-20 where you can create fungible tokens and uh, ERC-721 is where non-fungible token comes in which probably we'll be talking about later on. What is the difference between fungible and non-fungible? Fungible means that all such tokens are equal. There is no difference between them. They are interchangeable. Yeah. So for example, fungible, let's say I go ahead and give you a 10 rupee note and then you go ahead and give me another 10 rupee note. It's all the same right? There's no difference to it. But let's say if you heard about Pokemon cards, right? I go ahead and give you a Pokemon card and then you give me one. It's not the same, right? Each one has its own value. Probably you had one particular Pokemon, I had another one. So that's the actual difference between a fungible token and non-fungible token. Yeah. So a non-fungible token is unique and it's on its own. Yeah. So coming back to ICOs, yeah. What's an ICO? So ICO is initial coin offering. Right, how IPO's initial public offering. So they went ahead and coined this term and said it, ICO is initial coin offering, where you go ahead as you go, as, you know, when any company can go public, very similarly, like shares, you determine how many coins is going to be given out, how much is going to be there in the trust, and how much is going to be spent on marketing, how much is going to be spent on various other stuff, and then how much is going to be given out to the public. And then you go ahead and offer the coins at a discount. So users can go ahead and buy it and they start owning this coin. Now they are part of your ecosystem. And whatever you do as a company out of that uh, coin and however you're performing, your coin trades in the exchange and then it value goes up and down. For example, someone like Polygon, they didn't, they launched their coin and they went ahead and went public on the exchanges probably a couple of years back. They had a great use case because Ethereum had a gas fees issue and they were a solution to that. Everyone started using Polygon and polygons skyrocketed right there were a lot of firms that went ahead and did icos back then in 2017 unfortunately about 85 to 90 percent of the firms were majorly scams and about 10 percent of them was the ones who came out i think that happens in any technology right technology that comes in a certain crowd that kind of the early adopters may take misusage of that and then there are the ones who take it forward but 10 percent really came out during the bear market and those are the ones who really made difference during the 2020 boom and i guess that's how the market has been evolved right now but were you helping in icos like in terms of did you have like blockchain as a service because an ico is basically like someone launching their own blockchain right or it could be token also it could be token also it can be their own blockchain as well yes we've worked on a couple of icos as well where we went ahead and provided wallet services and then we uh, provided the technology that is required for that so but not very keen on ICOs because, you know, we are always worried about the scams that were happening. Fortunately, none of them were scammed, the ones that we held out. So it was a very interesting period. Okay. So you spoke about how Polygon token, why it has value. I mean, I want to understand like why a coin has value if someone is doing an ICO. What is uh, gas fees and how does Polygon solve gas fees? And why does the Polygon token have value? Uh, for example, if you take a look at Ethereum blockchain, right? In order to self-sustain, uh, you would need to have a mechanism for it to have an earning model. And in Ethereum, gas fees is a very uh, crucial part of it because every time someone executes a smart contract or does an activity on the blockchain, you need a fuel sort of like a gas fees. And the gas fees is paid through ETH, Ethereum's token. And at, at its peak, during when non-fungible market was big, NFTs were huge. A lot of transactions that happened on the Ethereum blockchain, right? Every uh, second there was a transaction that was happening. And while this was, that was going on, it was not scalable. And 
you had to pay a high gas fees to make sure that your transaction passed through okay otherwise it could take days for us probably hours and days right people had to figure out a solution for to make sure this is solved and polygon was right at the at that time they went ahead and built a layer 2 which is basically another layer on top of ethereum to make sure the consensus is taken care and that reduced the gap. basically you can just pass on it through polygon's network and pay much 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 lesser gas fees and have so there there were a solution at the right time and the adoption of polygon really grew during this period and that led to people buying more and more matic to pay for the gas and when people knew that some people are adopting to matic people started wanting to buy it how you buy a shares from the public market people went more more matic started trading it and then the price went now ethereum has been a proof of work and proof of work is basically where you go ahead and let people use your server power and then basically mine the blockchain to solve complex problems such as complex math problems such as in one way you need to go ahead and reward the network and you reward the network by giving out ethereum tokens which people mine and on the other side there is the gas fees which is paid for the blockchain so that there is a transaction that it is part of the overall transactions that has happened on that particular blockchain and it is paid out to the people who maintain the blockchain the maintain the trust and stuff okay okay so this gas fee solves two problems it incentivizes people who are putting their servers to work for the blockchain plus it also ensures that anyone who wants that transaction to be updated is you're automatically weeding out frivolous uh, users because you're charging a gas fees for it you're charging gas fees for it and also what happened is that initially the gas fees was very minimal as i told you and as ethereum was not built for this kind of scalability and and also it is it's a proof of work as well right after a point of time proof of work is not really scalable that's the reason that it's getting going into a merger right now and it's becoming a proof of stake so we'll unpack this there, there's a lot of stuff i want to talk about it but once let me quickly finish that thought what polygon did is it connected this information which has to be updated on ledgers from multiple sources and so instead of let's say 10000 individual updates on that ledger happening it, it like polygon would collate it and make it into one single update and therefore reduce gas fees for everyone was that what they did yeah so they basically instead of passing it on all together in that one la- layer one they went ahead and passed it on in layer two and they went ahead and did the consensus and after a point of time they got it consensus by the ethereum blockchain as you told so they collated together and then later on passed it on okay so they used a, a second layer of decentralized ledger which would allow like that decentralized and robust accurate information to be updated and that would further get updated on the first layer which is ethereum but because you would be combining so many entries together so therefore the ethereum cost of it would come down because now instead of 10000 people going to ethereum directly they all go to polygon and polygon goes once to ethereum so that reduces as we say okay so now let's talk about why is proof of work not scalable you said proof of work is not scalable so again the, the issue that ethereum went through because of proof of work you have a lot of miners and then every time you need to mine and then networks become very clogged it takes a lot of time and then you need to pay high gas fees for it to pass through and stuff but, but what proof of work as opposed to what are the options for a blockchain so you have proof of work where basically you let people go ahead and mine your network and you give your server power to have a transaction approved and then there is proof of stake where you go ahead and let people stake your coins and only if they have a certain number of coins be stake then they go ahead and solve these mining issues for you they go ahead and solve these solve the blockchain transactions for you this sort of these are the two major uh, proof of work and proof of stake are the major ones that has been implemented right now and uh, ethereum is moving to proof of stake so that it's much more scalable and it's much more efficient as well compared to proof of work that is happening right now so in in proof of work like uh, it is more server intensive and like there is more the verification of that proof takes more time and effort therefore it is not scalable yes exactly whereas proof of stake is it's the same process that goes in just that it is the ones who are having a certain number of coins obviously are the ones who are going to approve it and you don't want to make you don't want to be, be part of you know the network which you want to bring it down yourself because you hold on to your coin right so incentivize to make sure the process and everything is done so so that is the difference there. so you don't have a negative repercussion if you like try and update some wrong information in proof of stake because it works by consensus so the only way for something wrong to get updated is if you have let's say more than 51% of the supply of ether yeah so that's not possible right they don't allow yeah it's not possible so 
that is never possible and i mean no one could afford it also i mean it it must be like hundreds of billions of dollars exactly and the computing power of the various supercomputers that have been built across the globe right it is now built in a way that it could potentially take over a couple of blockchains that is currently existing and so proof of work even on a long run is on that particular reason in terms of security reasons also is not very looked on upon right now so that's one of the reasons why people are look moving towards proof of stake and other options so in proof of stake you basically go ahead you need to have certain number of ethereum staked for you to go ahead and be part of the network so you need to have certain number of ethereum that you hold that's your sort of like your entry to go ahead and uh, be part of the network and approve the node okay 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 and once you're part of the network and approving transactions then you're also earning gas fees plus mining both in both ways you're earning okay earning and also you have your coin stake so you know obviously the more transactions that happens more the coins value also goes up as well okay okay so the merge is essentially when ethereum moves from proof of work to proof of stake and this would dramatically bring down the gas fees and increase the throughput and that say there's a traffic jam happening right now so essentially the merge is like creating highways so that the traffic jam doesn't happen and it's uh, supposed to happen around 15th i believe okay okay so yeah let's continue with your own journey so like 17 18 those icos were happening and you took part in a few of them and you had a wallet product how did the business evolve from there and what kind of revenues were you doing as a business like how profitable was it as a business so we were a three member team right when we started all the three co-founders on the job around the clock working on uh, around after two years since we started we became about 300 plus employees and that came about because we were probably one of the f- few blockchain companies across the globe and in, especially in india so and what kind of top line were you doing like annual turnover this was back what two to three years back we probably doing around 5 million 4 to 5 million in that range how much is that in rupees so that used to be back then it was 65 70 dollars so about 35 crores and these 300 people that you had employed these were largely like blockchain developers so we had to recruit the people who are really good in tech and teach them how to code and for example if you had to create tokens in ethereum blockchain you need to code in solidity which is ethereum's programming language and then we built exchanges right and wallet products so we had multiple nodes that we had to run so you need to know multiple languages and then we had our core language was basically node js and ruby on rails so we had people as well and so how did it proceed from there so by by 18 you were at head count of 300 people you were doing 35 crores 40 crores at world revenue yeah yeah so 18 is when sort of like the 2017 and 18 end is when the crash started happening there the previous winter when rbi rbi basically told banks that you cannot uh, allow your customers to transfer money into bitcoin and others that's on the india side but globally the market was going through a winter so 18 to 19 end was like the winter period of crypto and so the entire market was down and everyone who started along with this like shutting shop and so so it made us rethink our- yeah did your business get affected did your revenue come down it did our business was affected but uh, one good thing about us is that we were profitable from day one and we always wanted to run a profitable company and we had a good amount of cash reserve we didn't really need to like scale down but we had to survive so we figured out various other ways we got into more of core blockchain based development where we were implementing for enterprises on how to move into blockchain do pocs for them on how their entire supply chain can be running running on a solution like hyperledger and stuff like that so we sort of changed our strategy a bit for during that period we were more focused towards consumer driven market where we were serving the consumer driven market of the crypto we kind of moved it to the enterprise market for the, those two years so that's our sort of like the lull period and we survived the lull period what is hyperledger you said you you were doing proof of concept for companies on using hyperledger So Hyperledger is one of the blockchain uh, that is usually used by enterprises and we took that as a solution and usually it's so Hyperledger is just like Ethereum or like any other blockchain basically yeah it's closed blockchain or like a private blockchain where you can run the node yourself and you know you can tinker around with it and you can do stuff so Hyperledger is like open source software which allows you to 
create your own blockchain okay and we went ahead and used that for supply chain based solutions where the entire data of what is being stored as is stored on the blockchain right now and we went ahead and started doing that as an experiment for various enterprises but why would blockchain have a use case here why not just use like say sap or oracle or any of these erp solutions to track the data around your supply chain like why would an enterprise be interested in blockchain there are two reasons i'll tell you the technological advantages of that and the business advantage of that the technological advantage of that is that when you go ahead and use the blockchain you are storing data on a trustless system right and it is completely you know you don't have to worry about the data at all right so if someone goes ahead and tampers with it there is da- there is a stamp saying that the data has been changed if you're running your own centralized data management you could tweak it as much as you want say for example if i use a service provider right now where i hold on to a balance uh, let's say someone like any one of the top wallet service providers in india and i have 10000 rupees as my balance and i see it today tomorrow it becomes 8000 rupees and i have not done anything on it but i balance has gone down i would not be able to go ahead and say that oh, someone has taken it i should probably fight against him saying that you know my balance has been gone and i have not used it for any kind of payment and they could go ahead and tweak the system anything can be done and we might need to fight against them legally but on the blockchain if there is a transaction that happens or if there is any change that is made it is stored on the blockchain every other data is being stored on the blockchain so that kind of immutable system was not available anywhere and for enterprises to on a longer scale on to prove uh, provide transparency to their consumers they need to get on to a trustless and immutable system and that's one of the reasons they wanted to get on blockchain 2019 you're coming out of that lull let's continue your journey from there yeah so 2019 mid that's when defi and nfts and all that we're doing decentralized finance based projects and nfts was a thing and we started building products based on nfts right we started building an non-fungible token marketplace and we initially gave out as a b2b solution as a product to various uh, people who are looking for launching a non-fungible token marketplace or launch non fungible tokens so we had a minting engine as well so we quickly our revenues grew up we started hitting an 8 million arr and our headcount also went up to about 400 people and so this is when we and we were again we were profitable right we were doing really well and this is when we we all thought my co-founders and we all decided why don't we try our hands on b2c we've been a b2b based uh, firm and why don't we get into b2c and this is the time to do that and this is like end of 2020 somewhere around that time when you decided uh, this was yes uh, this was end of 2020 and beginning of 2021 so digital collectibles were becoming a thing as much as we we become much more familiar with technology and stuff we are slowly getting into the metaverse we've been someone who had had more on a physical presence if someone bought a car or they went ahead and you know celebrated their anniversary would probably go ahead and meet their friends and tell them about it probably meet them in a coffee shop and talk about it and stuff but we don't do that right now we probably the first thing that we do is we post it on social media so the digital world is much more important for us compared to the physical world right so more and more digital world becomes important the digital collectibles or digital assets in the digital world start making sense for you so that kind of brought about the need for digital collectibles and digital artwork digital assets and stuff and the best way to prove ownership of a digital asset is obviously on a digital medium and also blockchain is something which is immutable and trustless as i told you before this we could never prove ownership of a digital asset right you could buy stuff from the internet but you can't prove ownership prove ownership of that but blockchain means that you could prove the ownership of that for example you could buy say a photograph like a high resolution jpeg file of it but there is no trading which can happen of it like anybody can make a copy of it you can buy it and you won't be able to show the ownership the ownership can be shown on a centralized record it's not shown on a decentralized record once you start showing it on a decentralized record your ownership never dies even the body which goes ahead and gives out that ownership I and mean, the body that goes ahead and gives out the digital asset it gets shut down you could still have the ownership on a decentralized network and once you have an ownership on a decentralized network you can go ahead and sell it anywhere you want that kind of revolutionized this whole concept of ownership on the internet and yeah initially nfts was more of artwork people were... so one one question here so we're talking of a digital asset i i think most nfts tend to be like images right so what is where is that image hosted is that for example i can put my images on google drive but what happens for an nft where is that image hosted how, how does the token 
link to the image and how does that connection work that this token equates to this image so the image is stored in an in a file system called interplanetary file system it's called ipfs it's a decentralized file system and that's where the image is stored and when you go ahead and relate that image to a token you mint it on a let's say an ethereum a blockchain you create a smart contract for that you mint that non fungible token basically you create the non fungible token and the data of that data you want to have for that particular image let's say it's going to be about someone painting about about a mountain or something like that you go ahead and you write about it you have you write a metadata and stuff like that and then you have that image location the ipfs location stored on the smart contract and you go ahead and mint that so that's pretty much how you go ahead and create an nft and how, that's how you relate it to the image that is stored on the ipfs and ipfs would charge some gas fees for the part of it ipfs doesn't charge a gas fee it is like a, a network fee like you pay for it and ipfs has its own coin as well and and stuff like that you pay a gas fees for the ethereum blockchain to go ahead and mint the nfts okay okay so ipfs you pay like a one time access fees to host that and that is why you would want to buy that coin of ipfs to host your content your data yeah so there are two ways to handle it so there are multiple providers like ipfs so you could go probably use how you use an aws you could use a subscription and use them or you could use like a file coin or something to go ahead and pay it as well. okay and then on ethereum uh, it gets minted through a smart contract where there is that the metadata and a link and that creates a token which is then a non fungible token which is a monetizable asset which can change in value and can be sold and it is immutable yeah another important aspect over here why nfts make sense and why digital asset ownership on the blockchain makes sense is that you could prove your provenance on the blockchain right let's say i am the creator and i go ahead and give it to you and then you go ahead and sell it to someone and then he sells it to someone else on the secondary so there is provenance of that ram sold it to akshay for 10 dollars and akshay go went ahead and sold it for 20 dollars and then it has been passed so you have this entire provenance been shown so you could not show that before on on the internet or any other record right and this again this record is immutable uh, it's on a trustless system so that makes it much much more valuable and that is one of the reasons again uh, so initially when nft started right the artworks what filled this industry people are creating artworks and reselling artworks and the artificial scarcity that was created for the artwork is what made it valuable and that's how it works in the real world as well right i guess the people incident really took the market big right so this is in dollars that it was sold for that literally sorry how, how much was it sold for it was sold for 69 million dollars 69 million dollar okay there there's an basically one artwork one one image file which got sold for that wow there is this beeple artwork called 500 days of his life so which went ahead and sold for about 69 million dollars and it was bought by an indian you might have known that right so it it created the market and made the market big across the globe and and all of a sudden everyone was into artwork and people created artwork and started trading that and then there was another series of nfts that came about right regenerative artwork where you go ahead and create you know a base artwork and you change how the attributes of that particular artwork let's say you have a monkey and there is a bad face of the monkey you add you change the color of the eyes you change you put a hat on it and you you create multiple variations of that you create 10000 variations and then you sell that artwork and you create this artificial scarcity and you let people know that if you go ahead and buy this nft which has this artwork then you get membership to my club and that's how projects like bodia dart club and all that was born and that's how the industry turned from being an artwork to more of a club and exclusivity and stuff like that now the industry has moved on to become utility driven it has gone to a stage where from being an artwork and trading artworks and more of in more of making money through trade people want to understand what's the value behind this right why should i go ahead and hold on to an nft there are millions of projects out there then as market progresses as technology progresses you understand that nfts can have multiple use cases right once you start proving ownership of an asset you can have multiple uses use cases that you can build on top of it and right now it's more focused towards utility where if i have an nft i get an access to probably watch a video sort of like or listen to a podcast or go ahead and use that nft to 
play a game or use their NFT to get into a metaverse event that you're creating. So people started creating various utilities and NFTs as an ownership path for you to be part of that utility. And, and that's how the market market has been progress. And we as a company also have been progress. So say you have this lounge card, which gives you access to an airport lounge. So instead of a lounge card, you could have an NFT, which does the same thing. And that becomes monetizable and you can sell it off further when you no longer are traveling and you don't need access to lounge. So that's how NFT becomes utility based rather than just hype around the artificial scarcity exactly and this nft all has all your record what you used it for how many times you accessed it and stuff like that you know even let's say you go ahead on the other side of real uses of nfts right you can even have an ownership of let's say you buy a vehicle the vehicle itself the ownership of that can be an nft and every time that from the day it's, it was bought to when you get it service when you change your parts all of the data is on that vehicle's nft and you resell it the data is transferred to the one who is buying buying it from you. So the entire record of the ownership of the vehicle can be an NFT. I believe it was a very small country in Europe which started experimenting on having vaccine certificates as NFTs. So you would have data of every user who went ahead and had a vaccine and that's an NFT. Okay, interesting. Probably real estate would, like instead of having a, what we discussed earlier, instead of having a real estate investment trust, you would have a decentralized way of buying real estate and then people owning part of it which they can sell fractional ownership which is easy to trade and people are doing that right now there are a lot of projects across the globe who are making real estate based nfts and that soon will come a thing as well okay okay and this would be done through a DAO. so what's a DAO? let's talk about that nfts and DAO, in a way is related uh the reason why is because you get into DAO. usually people buy buying nfts right you buy an nft then you're part of a dog that's how people are doing it right now before it is not the case. now it makes much more sense because you want to prove ownership and you be part of a dog what's a dog so dog is basically a decentralized autonomous organization so it's an organization basically every organization right now is centralized there is a board there's a chairman there's a you know cxos and it's completely centralized what if you make it completely linear there is no centralized body and an organization is held by the entire people who are part of it. And you know, if you take a look at it in Ethereum itself, the sort of like a trust which is behaved in a way like a DAO. So people kind of changed that and started using it. It's sort of like the true essence of decentralization. So if you want to buy a real estate, what you do is you create a DAO and you say that you buy 10,000 NFTs and each NFT is $100 and I collect a million dollars and I go ahead and buy this particular real estate. Now, all of us together own this real estate and we vote on what needs to be done with the real estate. Do you want to change it into a hotel or do you want to go ahead and create it as a recreational park? You decide it and we go ahead and vote on it, we get it done. And then once we go ahead and do that, what proceeds that particular real estate generates is given back to the entire DAO. Every member of the DAO gets part of that. Got it. Okay. So yeah, coming back to your pivot from B2B to B2C. So you were initially a service provider for companies who wanted to set up nft exchanges or say board a your club they would have probably used a service provider like you to help them mint that so that's how we started and we worked with various b2bs and the market was very good after the lull period into like another honeymoon for us and then we decided why don't we get into b2c and as i was telling you through a very good friend of us we went ahead and met one of a uh, person who we've been talk we've been in touch with for quite a long time he was a mentor for us his name was uh, kayur patel uh, another co-founder and he's a chairman of the company and we were discussing various stuff he said you, know, you guys should get into b2c and he said this is what we need to do we need to become an nft ecosystem company and focus towards being building nfts we went ahead and restructured and, and raised our first series of run we raised a 12 million dollar round Alari was one of the investors and then another angel, a very good friend of us called Logan Ranjanedo. Uh, he also invested two, $2 million and then restructured the company and got into NFTs completely. And that's how we made our entry into India and what we're doing in India right now. So don't you need to have that product that becomes tokenized like an image or whatever? It's a poor day. Your club has those thousands of apes photos so did you was that what you did or was that the plan to create that digital asset which you tokenize or so the plan was to become a b2c company focused towards launching nfts in india and the, for the way to do that we started with initially partnering with various other firms that are there so so that we get into the market we understand how the market is created market over here and then become b2c completely and our first launch was with amitabh Bachchan. 
we went ahead and dropped nfts of on the button where we sold for 1 million dollars the reason we went ahead and did that is because he cries out loud for mass appeal and also credibility right you would want the indian crowd to know what's nfts and they have to feel secure in buying that and i believe there's no one better than him to do that so we launched it and probably that was the biggest project in india right what was this one single photo of amita bachan or what was it like just help me understand so there is multiple forms of nfts that we launched for amita bachan so there was artwork like how you've seen the street generated artwork where it, we took characters of amitabh bachchan from various movies and we created variations of that and iconic scenes and we created artwork and sold that artwork and then we had an audio recording of mr amitabh bachchan he's known for his voice and we went ahead and created uh, an audio recording of his father's poem called madhushala where he explains iconic yeah and where he goes ahead and explains madhushala uh, one version hindi and one other version in english and then we had various posters iconic movies again and we went ahead and requested him to go ahead and sign these posters and we had video moments of his, of these posters where he signed them and we gave the physical poster along with it so these are the three major collections that we launched with and it was a great success and we literally created the market over here you sold all of this for a million dollars who earned a million dollars here was it amitabh bachchan was it you was it a split it was a revenue split and i think during that time that was probably the biggest launch in india and that was followed by many celebrities and brands getting into it and, and then we went ahead and started working with couple of other brands as well post this the second so this this was done on guardian link like someone who had to buy the which an nft would come to guardian link or what was the consumer facing brand here so we partnered with a marketplace called beyondlife.club where we had a partnership with them and we launched amitabh bachchan in that particular market is we didn't want to get into b2c right away because we wanted to understand the market very well before we go ahead and because we when we wanted to launch our b2c focus nfts we wanted to launch our own ips we wanted to create the market first build that community and then launch later on and that is the reason we went ahead and partnered and worked with various brands and celebrities the second celebrity that we worked with was the stanley's estate stanley who's the creator of marvel one quick question sorry so if someone bought an nft from beyondlife.club he has to sell it on beyondlife.club only or can he sell it on any marketplace so we wanted to bring build that community within the beyondlife.club marketplace so he could sell it only on beyondlife.marketplace and then as a buyer you could go ahead and buy it and resell it within the same marketplace as well but doesn't that defeat the philosophical underpinning of nft that truly decentralized but now you're stuck with one marketplace so if you take a look at in markets in india how they uh, how people have adapted in other nations about complete decentralization and how they use metamask that kind of adoption is not big in india that's why you, you don't see m- many users using a decentralized exchange in india right there is uniswap and various other decentralized exchanges indian usage of those exchanges are very minimal because the overall the experience of that is quite complex it's not a very seamless process and that's one of the reasons why wasdex and coinswitch and all these guys are actually existing in india because they provide a very seamless system which is a quick on ramp you can go ahead and buy a bitcoin as you're buying through an e-commerce product right very similarly we wanted to create a seamless experience so that you don't have to use your metamask you don't have to remember your private key and get in and buy an nft we want to have what is metamask metamask is like a wallet is it it's a decentralized wallet where you basically manage the wallet yourself so it's like a software that you have to install and exactly and obviously the audience that we are catering also is someone who's who loves amitabh bachchan who wants to buy an nft which shows memory of amitabh bachchan he might not be a crypto enthusiast or an nft enthusiast he's someone who's getting in- introduced to nfts so we wanted to have a very seamless experience for him for like how you log in through your instagram and you go ahead and like a picture of amitabh bachchan that's how simple it should be you will be able to log in with your social credentials and we, that's the, one of the reasons we had to create a closed marketplace and what we're doing right now is as we have built the community there we are opening up so you can now move these nfts to open sea and start reselling them from the beginning it was decentralized the nfts was on a blockchain but it was in a closed marketplace to be sold within that particular marketplace now it's moved to open sea so now you can go ahead if you require once we open up for open sea you can go ahead and move the nfts to open sea and it's it will still have the entire prominence of trading that happened on beyond life.club
So the second set of NFTs was with Stanley, who is the creator of Marvel. We worked with his estate and we launched NFTs for him for his last you know, artwork that he created, last superhero that he ever created. This is back in 2013 is when he created and it's called Chakra. And we created this Chakra verse. And it was an Indian a superhero that he wanted to create. It, he loved it so much, he believed it will be the next Superman, right? And But unfortunately, he passed away and he could not do that. So they wanted to have a lasting memory as an outcome out of that. So NFT obviously is the way to go for it. And we partnered with the estate and we went ahead and launched Chakra NFTs. And uh, and very interestingly, we, we almost did this in about three weeks' time. The entire ideation and creating of NFTs and launching them and selling them out. And we also sold out these NFTs in a record-breaking time, right? We sold 12,000 NFTs and this was sold out in 51 seconds. Wow. So, so there were 12,000 images of Chakra that you were minted as NFTs. In 51 seconds. And it was an amazing experience. Post that, uh, we had multiple other brands. And, and how much was netted from that sale? I believe it is somewhere around 400,000 US dollars. INR coming around 3 crore or something like that. Yeah, and then post that? Post that, we had partnerships with various brands. Uh, we partnered with Viacom 18 and launched their NFTs. Characters from various series they had and shows they had. Fully Fall 2 was one of the you know team. And a other, Bakra, which is part of MTV and other characters as well and we created nfts of that and uh, after this we worked with hindustan times we had newspaper clippings which iconic headlines of the 1940s to we took that and created nfts out of that we worked with kalpana chawla's estate and we had images of late kalpana chawla and it was given out for charity we also did nfts of a metaverse wedding it was it a huge rage during the time it was asia's first metaverse wedding and we gave nfts as invite passes to attend that metaverse wedding and that's how we worked with all of these brands and uh, as we worked with these brands we also had an interesting opportunity to work with an fmcg brand called cadbury's which if you know them and we were going ahead and launching a charity-based NFTs for them. And we are, we are launching their NFTs next month. What does that mean, charity-based? Like the proceeds will go to charity? Yeah, so basically what happens is that we are making people submit artworks of gems-themed artworks and memories of the gems and stuff like that. And whatever NFTs and the proceeds that comes out is given back to charity. The charity is called Save the Children and it's for children across the globe in need of education. This is still not pure B2C yet, right? Because you are not yet directly selling to customers. You don't have your own marketplace, so to say. Yeah, so that's where the real story started happening. As we started working with these brands, around April is when we completely went B2C, right? Uh, we were preparing it for last four months from there, like from January to April, we were. We understood as we did these launches and drop. Brand and celebrity is good enough to go ahead and sell out the NFTs, right? For the initial primary sale. But you would need to have a reason for it to be hold on. You would need to have it, have a utility and a use case for it to have a multiple retrade that happens post that, a secondary retrade and the price optimization and all that. And what we understood is that we need to start building on utilities. And that is one of the reasons we also got into initially like a B2B to C. We wanted to go through that learning curve and understand how the market will take this. And our biggest learning was that you would need utility for NFTs. And we went ahead and decided that we'll go with gaming as a utility. Covers is a long shot. Gaming definitely is the biggest use case of uh, NFT, right? Because gaming games are all about assets, digital assets that can be used within the game. And we came up with two different games that we wanted to launch. One was cricket, the biggest celebrated game across the globe. India loves cricket. We are from India. We are targeting it. And another one was a racing game. Everyone, a racing game is it's part of our gaming culture. So the two projects that we want to get into. And the first launch that we did was for a cricket game. And we went ahead and sold NFTs for this cricket game. It's basically batsman and a bowler that you buy. You as NFTs, right? You buy a batsman and then you buy a bowler. And then you also buy a bat as an NFT. And then once you have all these three, you can go ahead and participate in the game. And it's an actual role-playing game where you choose which batsman to play and then you choose which bowler to bowl against your opponent. And then you choose which bat you have based on your power and, you know, what kind of bat it is and stuff like that. And then you go ahead and play the game. You score runs, you score fours and sixes. And then at the outcome, whoever wins, he's the one who is going back with rewards 
and upgrades to the NFTs that you use. So every time you play the game, your NFT upgrades and skill set, and then it moves away from being a level one to a level two NFT. And then you can up- keep on playing the game and improve your skill set, and you can go ahead and resell your NFT. Someone else can buy it from you, and you can go ahead and buy another one and start using that. We had multiple NFTs from a rookie, like someone who is an entry-level player to a legend. And all of this was our own IP that we created, right? It is our own players that we created, like how a Bodhi Yard Club is. Each player had its history. Each player had its skill set. Each player had limitations and stuff like that. And various categories of the players as well. And uh, over time, these players would evolve. Like I, I'm assuming at the beginning, all players would be at, say, rookie level. And then as... players play the game those players majority of the players are rookies and we had few of them in rare legends and so overall about 50000 of them were players and 5000 of them were bats and uh, this was also a very quick sell out for us we sold these 55000 nfts for about half a million dollars in 9 minutes time how much would a player have costed a, let's say a rookie level player what's the cost of playing the game like entry level cost If you buy it at a drop, the first sale, one player would cost you twelve dollars, around twelve and a half dollars. So you need to buy it as a pack. So you would need to buy a batsman and bowler. So you'll be basically paying twenty-five dollars to get into a game. And a bat is an option. You can have a bat as an option to get into the game as well. You can have a bat as an option to get into the game as well. But you need, you would need to manually have a batsman and a bowler to get into a game. What is the game quality like how realistic is the cricket game and how do you find out the graphics and because there's a whole spectrum of what the game experience could be like yeah one thing that we understood as we got into nft and gaming right most of the nft based games which are commonly called as play to earn games where you earn as you play the game and you get rewarded they are not actual games right these are games that are just built in a way so that you can use nfts and do a simulation and then you earn out of that so we wanted to build an experience what would a game would like right you would want to actually play the game and the earning comes as a passive outcome of that so the, that's why we also took the time to make sure the game comes out well and we took that four to five months of building that b2c product and this particular game is a hardcore cricket gamers game right uh, it's called meta cricket league and it's sold through our b2c marketplace called jump.rate that's where you can go ahead and buy these nfts and this particular game you would probably compare it to a ea cricket if you had played that very similar to that the graphics and the role play is very similar to that yeah, i guess ea cricket is pretty much the benchmark for cricketing games right like it, it's amongst the best yeah and we have mobile versions of this game and we also launching desktop versions soon but you're not a gaming studio how did you end up building a game as good as ea cricket so what we did is that obviously the one of the reasons we went ahead and raised funds also was to expand and acquire other talents as well right so as part of this we went ahead and acquired a gaming studio and brought them in house and use that gaming studio to build this game okay 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 which studio did you acquire what was is it a b2c studio or like a studio which makes games for other companies it was a b2c studio which focused on building b2c based product and they also wanted to expand into nfts and play to earn and they were looking to have right partners and we decided why don't we bring them together and uh, that's how it happened and and right now the game is launched and it's been in the market for the last 2 months and we have more than 100000 active users as part of our platform what's the game called if i want to download the app or if i want to play you could go to jump.trade which is our nft marketplace and from that you could download the game it's called meta cricket league and you would be able to download the apk and jump.trade is your nft marketplace only for cricket or it's like a marketplace you're building for all future nfts It's a marketplace that we're building for all future NFTs. All other games that we'll be launching will be in this marketplace. Any brand collab or a celebrity collab that we're doing will be through this marketplace. Most games have a freemium strategy, right? They're free to play, but here you have this entry cost, and that twenty-five dollar entry cost was probably when you did the initial drop. It must be much higher now, right? Yeah. So. most of the nfts have gone up 2x or 4x in its value so the nfts have gone up to even 5x of its value so your entry cost right now is around minimum 50 dollars because uh, batsman has gone from a total of dollars to 25 dollars right the reason we started with that is because we wanted to have a playing crowd which you know goes ahead and buys nfts 
and users of the NFTs and start building that ecosystem where you need to buy an NFT, use that, play that NFT, run with that NFT, upgrade that NFT. We need to wanted to build that playing mechanism so that that gets adopted. And what we're doing right now is to have a mechanism where there'll be multiple NFTs dropped every week. And it'll be there'll be certain NFTs which are much more lower in cost. So the NFTs of the initially launched sort of like our like Genesis collection, which have its own value and it's appreciated as a separate gameplay for that one. And then we have another collection that we'll be launching, which is like much lower value NFTs, around $1 to $2 when we drop it. And then it has a certain expiry and stuff like that. And then we have another range of NFTs, which are free NFTs. And how would you earn in this? Once your NFT gets goes up in skills, for example, then it would have more value. So therefore, it's like buying a house in a way. It would appreciate. So that's how you would earn. Like your NFT value would appreciate and then you can sell it and or you can trade it and buy something cheaper and take that cash home. Is that how it would happen? There are two ways to earn for you. One, as you told, you hold on to an NFT. As you hold on to an NFT, there is an artificial uh, scarcity that is there. So uh, and if you want to get into the game and it's very rare and your NFT value appreciates, Another way is that as you play the game, your NFT upgrades, right? Your skill set of NFT moves away from being a, let's say, a level one rookie to a level two rookie and a level three, level four rookie. So playing with level four rookie, what will happen is that it has much more benefits in the gameplay. And if you have more benefits in the gameplay, then your earning potential becomes big. That's your third way of how you actually earn rewards, right? And that's how you make money in terms of the gameplay. So you go ahead and have an NFT, you play the game, and as you play the game and as your score runs and as you win the game, if you win multiple games as a part of a tournament, we go ahead and distribute rewards as winning rewards as part of the tournament. And these are... Well, what kind of rewards? So these are basically tokens that are given out. These are not crypto tokens that are traded in the marketplace. These are in-game tokens that we give out, which are equivalent to you know USD. So let's say 10,000, it's called JT points. So 10,000 JT points is equally basically into $1. So you can go ahead and earn JT points and then you can move it to a marketplace and then convert that as USD and then move it to your bank account. So basically... Can you use these JT points for buying anything inside the game? Yeah, you could use the JT points to buy NFTs within the marketplace and then use it back. Okay. So essentially, the better your player is, the more chances are that you'll win tournaments. The more tournaments you win, the more JT points you earn. And JT points are dollars, basically. And to have a better player, you may want to spend money on on buying an NFT player from somebody who's already upskilled his players. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. I, I understand the, the economics uh, or the marketplace here. Okay. Fascinating. Help me understand what is the potential of this game? What could be the value of this marketplace, like the transactions happening on it? Or could it be a billion dollars idea? Or help me understand that. So the market is quite big, right? I think it is progressing on to become probably, in the next, if you take a look at it in the next five years or so, every other game just there in the market would probably have their assets on the blockchain. And this is the future of gaming. And there's a very similar game that was launched a few years back called Axie Infinity, right? They did a transaction up to about a billion dollars during its peak time, right? And it came from a country like Indonesia. And their majority of users were from Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, and Southeast Asian countries. And the reason why is also because in, in this particular country, you have this concept of where there's always a lower wage on an everyday wage to there. And you would want to have another source of income for you. And uh, there is this huge market in India as well, where someone who is working or studying part-time, they want to go ahead and do another work. The gig economy in India is quite big, right? They're either getting into Swiggy delivery or they become delivery boys of Amazon and stuff like that, or they're into BPUs and stuff. So gaming has started becoming like a profession in the last few years. Earning through gaming can be a, a great gig that people can adopt to. And we've seen that happen with these countries in Vietnam and all that. So I think India has a great potential and with the population and the and the young population that we have, which is between 18 to 35, I think there are about 600 million uh, people in that particular age group. And the potential of that, or the potential of that becoming massive is, I think it's huge. It's already huge because you can see what's happening with MPL, Dream11 and all these guys where they pretty much have uh, ruled the play-to-earn market, right? The, the regular play-to-earn market. I think Web3 has a bigger potential compared to that. And I think it's, it's a billion-dollar opportunity. What is the total like market capitalization of 
all NFTs uh, for this cricket game that you've released so far? Right now, it would be around 5 million USD with the current trade volume that is going on. And our focus is not to worry about market capitalization. I think it, it should be more on not worried about the secondary retrade that happens and what will go on. That. Because India is not a market which is going to worry about secondary retrade. And, uh, because India is not a collectible market. We never collect basketball cards. We, we, we never collect cricket. And we are a value value for money country. So we see India as a country where NFTs is really used for the use case of it. Where I buy this NFT and then let's say I invest $10, I should get $100 out of it. Yeah, I'm done with that. I believe that's the market also that we are targeting and that our business model and our product is built that way as well. And what is your headcount? We are about 430 odd. We have offices in India and Singapore. So do you still have your B2B business going on? Or tell me about the organization. What is the roadmap for the organization? So the B2B business is where we are focused on working with brands and launching NFTs. Our major focus right now is B2C and B2B has become secondary focus, but it will be an important part of the organization because that gives us learning and it gives us obviously ways to make sure the product is, gets better as it goes. And also with our B2B business, there's a lot of opportunities for us to partner and bring in through our B2C business as well. Because I'm guessing when you work with a brand to create NFTs for their IP, then it would be sold on your marketplace. Yes. And also we could integrate those IPs into our games as well. And also celebrities that we work with, you know, their NFTs launched, those celebrities' NFTs can be brought into our games. So, so if we take a look at recently, Fortnite went ahead and launched Dragon Ball Z as avatars inside Fortnite. The end of IP plays what you know we would probably want to do in the future. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.